The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. Okay, if you have your Bibles, would you open up to John chapter 2, verse 11? John chapter 2, verse 11. And I'm going to be starting a series that'll probably go for maybe seven or eight weeks. It'll take us certainly into October where we have evangelist Tim Hall coming for a miracle Sunday and then it'll take us into November where we have evangelist John Mellor coming for another miracle Sunday and so October and November two huge miracle Sundays for our church but I'm starting a series called there's a miracle for your house there's a miracle for your house See, I was brought up in a culture of miracles. I was brought up in a culture um, where we just believed in the power of God. We just believed that God was real. We just believed that if you were sick, you got prayed for. We just believed in that. Matter of fact, my my grandfather was um, uh, an old-time Pentecostal preacher in Italy, and uh, they had a lot of things not quite right, but they also had a lot of things right. You know, I mean, they were a bit legalistic, but boy, oh boy, they really believed in the power of God. They really believed that if you got sick, your first course of action was not to reach out for the medication, but to reach out for God. How many of you think that's a good way to live life? You know, just reach out for God. We just believed in healing. We just believed in the power of God. And so I grew up in a home where prayer was part of the deal. Um, deliverance was part of the deal. Uh, you know, we just believed that God was able to deliver people, set people free. We believed in the supernatural. There was a God factor constantly at work within our family and within our lives. And you know what? When you open up your Bible, what you find is that the Bible is a book of miracles. It's not just a book of intellectual discussions. It's a book of miracles. It starts off with creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You cannot believe the Bible and remove miracles out of the Bible. As soon as you start removing miracles and God interventions out of the Bible, then it just becomes a book of rules and regulations. It's much more than rules, regulations, principles, even though they exist within the Bible. It's about the power of God. It's about God breaking into your world with divine intervention. And what happens is that sometimes we lose belief in that and we replace the power of God with intellectualism. And can I just say that one of the dangers of the church today in the 21st century is that because the power of God is not dependent upon us, it's dependent upon God. We can then create a church where it's all dependent upon us and, and we make things happen. And so, now, let, let me just put a pause there. I, I believe in the contemporary church. Matter of fact, our church is a contemporary church. I, I, I believe... Um, that it's a wonderful thing to have music. I think it's a wonderful thing to have lights. I think it's a wonderful thing to have atmosphere. And, and uh, we work with all of that. But the big danger is where the power of God is replaced with atmosphere. That's the danger. 
And so what we don't want to do is have one and not the other. We can have both. Yeah. You know, because uh, music is a very powerful force. How many of you have ever tried to watch a movie um, with no music, no background? It just takes all of the atmosphere out. And so, and so what happened even in the Old Testament, uh, one of the prophets wanted to prophesy. And before he could prophesy, he said, call a musician. The musician created an atmosphere and was able to launch out in the things of God. So it doesn't have to be either or. And that's the thing that I, I, I really want to focus in on is that we can have both. We can have great worship, we can have great singing, we can have the lights, we can have all of the atmosphere, but not at the cost of leaving out the power of God. Not at the cost of leaving out the supernatural, the moving of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit being able to break in at any time, the Holy Spirit having precedence. And, you know, we, we have got our, our, our whole service on a sheet of paper, and every every Sunday we've got it all mapped out. Every minute, every second, we have a clock because we respect your time. But you know what? The Holy Spirit can break in at any single time because He's in charge. And so it does. And, and so what happens is that the pendulum sort of swings from one way to another. And so we don't want to be a church where it just every Sunday goes on and on and on and on. We're waiting for the Spirit to move on and on. Two hours, three hours later, uh, you know, we don't want that. But then on the other hand, we don't want to be so focused on getting our time sorted out that we leave out the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that that in itself is a tough balance to achieve? But you know what's in our heart to achieve that balance? And part of this whole series is to put a fresh emphasis on the miraculous and the supernatural and the power of God breaking in. And so, um, so this whole series revolves around the book of John and it revolves around the seven miracles in the book of John. What I find interesting is that Jesus did many, many miracles. And John himself said, if, if I were to write about all the miracles that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain it. But then he himself only focuses in on seven miracles. And so that in itself is interesting. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to open that up. Why seven miracles? Why? What's, what's the focal point on seven miracles? Oh, I'm glad you asked that question because we're going to try to answer that in the next few weeks. And, uh, but let's, let's read this, um, uh, this verse in John chapter 2, verse 11, that just opens up um, what, what... And I've titled my message today, Introduction to Miracles. So let's, let's read John chapter 2, verse 11. It says, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And here it is. And his disciples believed in him. His disciples believed in him. Do you know that one of the themes of John is belief? Of, of all of the gospel writers, John uses the word belief more than any of the other gospel writers. Matter of fact, the word believe or belief or believed is used over 90 times in the book of John. And one of the focal points of John is that he wants people to believe. Why is that? Because what you believe impacts your life. 
and uh, David was talking about in, in his communion message on how belief is so important because belief actually controls your worldview. And so here we are, God believers. How many of you believe in God? How many of you believe in the power of God? What an awesome thing it is. The world doesn't believe this. The world believes rubbish. That's what they believe. They believe rubbish. And uh, there are, oh, no, now let me say that they, there's lots of things that they believe that are right and true. But because the foundation of their belief system is not based on godly principles, it's skewed off. But you know what? Nothing's changed. That's the way it's always been. It's not as if when they wrote the Bible, well, well, back in those days, the government had a really strong God belief system. That was the Roman Empire in charge back in those days. How many of you know that their belief system was pretty skewed? And, but they still survived. Even, even under persecution, the church still survived. And, and can I just say something? Um, that might disappoint some of you. But I, I really believe that Australia is going to come into a, a, a season of persecution. I, I really believe that there's already a spewing out of persecution against the church. There's, there is an attack of the media specifically targeting Christians. And so what's, what's fascinating is that there's a whole bunch of groups that are protected, but not the Christians. Man, we're open for attack. But you know what? Nothing's changed. That's the way it was in Bible days. Matter of fact, Jesus prophesies that this is the way it's going to be in the end. So what are you worried about? Huh? What are you worried about? God's going to see you through. Come on. You just got to believe in miracles. Now, the other thing that I've discovered when I study church history is that the more persecution there is, the more the church flourishes. How many of you want the church to flourish? You know what you're saying when you want the church to flourish? You know what you're saying there? How, how, how many of you come from a Chinese background? How many, how many Chinese background people we have here? Do you, do you know that when Mao Zedong spewed out persecution on the church in China, that's when the church in China flourished? And, and today, matter of fact, there are more Christians in China than any other country in the whole wide world. It's an amazing thing that under persecution, the church flourishes, and it's the New Testament. So stop worrying. Stop getting perturbed. Stop becoming fearful. Some of you are in total stress over what's going to happen in Canberra this week. It's going to be the end of the world. I'm praying, but it's not going to be the end of the world. Why is that? Because God's got this. Come on, turn to the person next to you and say, God's got this. Stop being afraid. God's got this and he's going to turn everything around for his purposes to be accomplished. Can anybody say amen to that? So we've got to believe. The bottom line is we've got to believe. We've got to believe that God's got it. We've got to believe that God was in the beginning, God was at the end and he's got and God's all the way through. Uh, so, so these seven miracles in the book of John, each one has a discourse connected to it. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to open up the miracle. We're going to open up the discourse. We're going to open up what they are. But let me give you a quick rundown. Do you want a quick summary of the seven miracles in John? First miracle is the turning of water into wine. 
How many of you think that's probably one of the most fascinating miracles of all? But there's a message behind it. And all, and all the messages is, 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 is wine talks about salvation. Wine talks about joy. And, uh, and when you run out of the natural, God's got the supernatural. And it's just a very simple, beautiful little miracle of God that God wants to bring the first miracle of salvation into people's lives. The second miracle is the healing of the nobleman's son. And, uh, and this is all to do with belief. This is all to do with, uh, with a society that said, first of all, you show us the signs and then we'll believe. And the healing of the nobleman's son was, I believe, I believe. And then he saw the sign. See how God turns things around. You need a breakthrough in your life. Just start believing and a breakthrough will come. It's a miracle of breakthrough connected with your belief. The third miracle is the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda and and he's a guy that for over three decades had been trying to do it in his strength and then God came along and said let me do it for you how many of you love that he failed for 38 years fail 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 then God turns up and this is the miracle of healing we're going to be talking about how God provides healing the fourth miracle is the feeding of 5,000 I love that story the feeding of 5,000 but all we see in this story is the miracle of provision how God can provide for you when you've run out God turns up with hands full of provision the fifth miracle is the walking on water how many of you know that this is impossible how many of you ever tried walking on water how many of you know that sometimes you'll hit a situation where it is impossible but you know what I've gone to the dictionary my dictionary, and I've scrubbed out the word impossible. Impossible does not exist in my dictionary. I decided to believe that with God, all things are possible. How many of you believe that with God, all things are possible? And maybe you're facing an impossible situation. It might be impossible for you, but it's not impossible for God. And that's the faith element, the belief. Do you believe that all things are possible to those who believe? Number six, and you know, this is weeks of preaching i'm summarizing in just just to give you a glimpse of what we're going to be talking about this is this is one of the things that god started to speak to me when i was on holidays on the seven miracles of of the book of john and i thought i've never preached on the seven miracles i've preached on the seven i am's in the book of john and just as you know Jesus was, was proving to people that he was Yahweh in the flesh and used that, the, the very terminology of I am that was used by God to Moses um, right there on Mount Horeb. Uh, Jesus used the same word to explain to people that he is God manifest in the flesh. But I've never done a series on the seven miracles of, of Jesus in the book of John. Number six is the healing of the blind man. What a fascinating discourse this is i love this the healing of the blind man and this is not only about the miracle of healing this is more so about the miracle of revelation and when we read the discourse with the blind man we see that this blind man not only received natural sight but he just received revelation and his insight and the way that he discoursed with the pharisees was genius level i'm telling you it was just at another level and that discourse just makes me want to laugh i think even david you mentioned that this morning how about that didn't even know i was going to preach on it but he's mentioning you know stuff there that he, now david's feeling man i'm right in the spirit here <laughs> that's awesome that's great and and number seven the raising of lazarus 
from the dead. And what a great uh, miracle this is. And, and again, you know, the focal point is that God wants to bring life to your dead situation. You're looking at your dead situation, you're crying, you're grieving, but God's got the power of bringing life to your dead situation. Each miracle contains a revelation of God, what God wants to do in your house and for your house. How awesome is that? God wants to bring salvation, breakthrough, healing, provision, changing the impossible, revelation, life into your house. How many of you want all of those things? Well, come along and you'll get faith built up for what God wants to do for your house. Okay, let let, let me give you a little bit more teaching. How many of you are enjoying some teaching? So what's a miracle? Okay, very simple. A miracle is a divine intervention in the natural order. So if something is going to happen naturally, it's not a miracle. A miracle is where there is divine intervention in the natural order, where God breaks through the natural laws of this world. And he set up the natural laws. And and I love the natural laws. It gives me a bit more confidence. How many of you know that there's a bit more confidence when when you have confidence in the natural laws? But you know what? For us as Christians, it doesn't stop there. There's got to be this extra bit. And the extra bit is, God's in control and he can break in at any time and intervene in the natural order. You've got to have faith for that. You've got to have belief for that. Otherwise, life is just natural. And God wants to break into your natural with something super. That's why it's called supernatural. God, and you've got to believe for the supernatural. And the supernatural is God doing what you cannot do. God providing what you cannot provide. God opening what you cannot open. And God removing what you cannot remove. Uh, Come on, can you believe for that? Can you believe that in your situation... You've done all you can do, and you can't do any more. But God can do what you can't do. Uh, Come on, in your situation, you've provided all that you can provide. But God can provide what you can't provide. In your situation, you've tried to open, and nothing's opened. But God can open a door in the middle of your situation. And he promises that he can open a door that no man can shut. Can you believe that? See, this is where God wants you to believe and faith rising up. God can remove what you can't remove yourself. There's an obstacle in your pathway and it's like I've tried everything to remove it. I can't remove it. Well, you know what? Nothing is too difficult for God. Turn to the person next to you and say, nothing is too difficult for God. Okay. Now, what you will find over this series is balance. How many of you know that one of the toughest things for a preacher is to find balance? Everything, it's easy either on one side of the pendulum or the other side, but to find balance so that all of the questions are answered well. What I find is this, is that when you're extreme, it leaves a lot of unanswered questions. So when it comes to miracles... There are three responses from God towards miracles. And the first response, I love. What's the first response? Yes! How many of you love that response? 
Oh, come on. I need a bit more feedback than that. Huh? How many of you like it when God says yes? <laughs> but there's a second response. Have a guess what the second response is. No. What happens when God says no? Yeah, we go, oh. When God says no, we go, oh. But you know, the Bible is full of God saying no. You know, God said no to the Apostle Paul regarding his thorn in the flesh. God even said no to Jesus. How many remember when Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was praying, if it's possible, you take this cup of suffering from me. And God said no to Jesus. No, we're not going to do this. Can I just say to you that whenever God says no, it's because he's got something else in mind. It's never to damage you. It's never to hurt you. But our problem is that we chuck a pity party and we chuck a tantrum and, and we get all upset and we get, you know, we become children. How many, how many of you got children? Give me, give, me, give me a wave if you've got children. Okay, here's, here's the big question for you. How many of you love your children? Give me a wave if you love your children. How many of you really, really passionately love your children and would be even willing to lay down your lives for your children? Yeah? Really? So how many of you said no to your children? What is the matter with you? You just told me that you're willing to lay down your lives for your children and now you're telling me that you've said no to them? Because you have a higher purpose. And the higher purpose is something they do not yet understand. Let me ask you another question. How many of you have the wisdom and knowledge of God? Give me a wave. If you have the wisdom and knowledge of God. Any takers on that? Okay, you're still alive. That's good. Because I I, I was just seeing lightning come down from heaven. See, the point is this, that all of us are on a journey of wisdom. But God's already there. And so God's no is not because he hates you, but because he's got a grander purpose. And you've just got to believe in that. You've just got to believe in that. When you read the Bible, you find so many no's. You know, he's, he's David. David's saying, God, I want to build you the greatest temple. And God says, no. Nah. How many of you would get offended? I mean, here you are wanting to be generous, and God says, no. Nah. You've got unclean hands. You've got too much blood on your hands. Your son Solomon will build up. I've got a greater purpose. Just help him, but you're not doing it. How many of you would get offended by that? See, we can read it without feeling David's offense, but he's, here he's trying to be generous to God, and God says, nah. How many, of you, how many of you love reading the story of Elijah? Elijah, wow, what a great man of God he was. Man, he could pull down fire from heaven. But you know what? He prayed a prayer and God said, nah. One of the prayers that he prayed was, God, kill me. <laughs> How many of you know that sometimes you can pray a prayer and not fully understand the ramifications of it, but God does. God says, nah, I'm not going to kill you. 
But the day's going to come where I'm going to take you to heaven in a chariot. How awesome is that? I've got a better plan. Strike you dead or take you to heaven on a chariot? How many of you think that God's deal is always the better deal than being struck dead, went to heaven in a chariot? So, you know, I mean, and there's so many other rules. I've got, I haven't got time to go through it all. But here's probably another message series that we'll do maybe one day when God says no. What happens to you huh? when God says no? You just got to trust that God's got a bigger plan. And here's, here's the third response to your request for a miracle. Here it is. Yes, but not yet. Yes, but not yet. And I think... Of all the responses, this is probably the most frequent response that God uses. Yes, but not yet. You know what our problem with this one is? That we waste the not yet. So here we are in a a predicament where we start to pray. We start to pray. We start to pray. And we're focused in, and, and you know, we've got great teaching about you've got to picture it, you've got to see the finished thing, and we've got that. And, and here's the response over here. And it might be a year. I, I mean, let's face it, how many think Abraham was a great man of God? Well, he prayed for a son, and God said yes, but didn't quite tell him that it's going to take 20 years for the answer to come through. The not yet was 20 years. He's Joseph. How many think Joseph is a great man of God? God gives him a revelation that his, that his parents were going to bow down. He was going to be a ruler. But how many you know it took 14 years for that to come through? And so what happens too often is that we don't build the not yet into the equation. And in the not yet, we spend too much time lamenting and complaining rather than saying, God, what are you doing in the not yet? And too many people are wasting the not yet, rather than saying, God, if it was your purpose and your will and timing, it would happen immediately, but there is something that you're wanting to do in the not yet, and I'm open for it, I'm ready for it, put it into me, Lord. And more often than not, the not yet is a maturing process. That God uses to make you more like Jesus. How many of you ever prayed for patience? Well, you are certainly going to be exposed to the not yet. Because in the not yet, God's building patience. How many of you are praying for God to make you more like Jesus? Well, you're going to get the not yet. Because in the not yet, you're going to become more and more like Jesus when you're exposed to, but God, I want this now. And God says, not now, when I give it to you. And so there's something that happens, this transformation that takes place. But too often, I find people wasting the not yet. I just love, I just love Paul's response to the not yet. You know, God, would you take away the thorn of the flesh? And God says, Paul, not yet. And in the meantime, my grace is sufficient to you. And Paul got it. He says, wow, God's actually using this thorn in the flesh to make me more like Jesus and changing things in my lives. And he wasn't going to waste his not yet. And can I just say to some of you in this room right now, don't 
waste. You're not yet by getting in a spirit of negativity and complaining. Just stop complaining and saying, you know, God, your timing is perfect timing. And in your timing, I'm going to see the miracles come through because I believe. I believe in you. I believe that when you promise something, you'll bring it to pass. I believe that when you say something, it will come to pass. Our problem is that our time is so important for us. And yet God's timing, he's outside of time. You know, it's like, you know, I don't think he ever sits there going like this with his watch. I think he's just outside of time. You know, it's like... A thousand years is a day for him. A day is like a thousand years. I mean, for us, how I many of you know, day is a day and we want to maximize every single second. But God's wanting to maximize it in our lives by stretching, molding, making us something very powerful. The other question that a lot of people ask is, well, why seven miracles? Oh, I'm glad you asked that question. Why seven well, what, what, what you find right in the book of Genesis is that God created the world in, seven day, in six days and rested on the seventh. But he used the seven days to complete creation. And so what you find is that seven throughout the Bible is the number of divine completion. And there is something powerful about them. Matter of fact, when you read the Bible, over 490 times in the Bible, the number seven appears. If you go to the last book in the Bible, over 50 times, the number seven appears. Um, You've got the seven letters to the seven churches, the seven spirits before the throne of God, the seven golden lampstands. Even, even in the Old Testament, the lampstand had seven stems. We call it the menorah. So seven lights on the lampstand, the seven stars, the seven seals, the seven angels, the seven trumpets. So seven is used in the Bible as, as, as a sign of completeness. And I think what John is wanting to say by, by just pulling out seven miracles out of all the miracles that Jesus did, is that when God does a miracle in your life, he will do a complete job. He will do something complete. And it's for the purpose of completing. Because he promised that that which he started in you, he would complete. He would perfect. And if if you're in the not yet, you've just got to stop and say, God, you're completing something. You're finishing something. And I'll be patient enough to wait for you so you can complete that which you've started. Because I believe in you. And that brings me to my conclusion. John's purpose for writing his gospel is found in John 20, verses 30 to 31. If you can come up, Tim, as um, the plane's coming in for a landing. Verse 30, 31, And Jesus, and truly Jesus, did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Only seven are written in this book. He did many others. But these are written, here it is, that you may believe. That you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You know what God's trying to do? He's trying to corral you into a place where you believe that God's got it. And some of you are complaining about the corralling. You're complaining about the circumstances around you to corral. But God's corralling you to bring you to a place of miracles.
a place of divine provision. A place where you look and say, God, I could not do this. This is not of my doing. It's of your doing. I couldn't open this. You opened it. I couldn't remove this. You removed it. God's saying, yeah, I'm at work in your life. I've started something. I'm going to complete it. So just believe. Just believe. Just believe. Just believe. The whole theme of of John's book is believe. The key verse is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in God? Do you believe what the media tells you? Do you believe what the news is saying? Do you believe the voices of those that want to put fear in your heart? Or are you believing the voice of God that says, it doesn't matter how bad it's out there. I've got this. I've started this. I'm going to see you through. Do you believe in that? Because let me tell you, I'm 58 years of age. And there has never been a situation where God has not come through for me. There's been plenty of situations when I've looked at my circumstance and it looks dim and it looks dark and it, it, it tries to penetrate into my heart and bring fear. But at that moment, I turn my gaze from my situation and I begin to look to Jesus and I say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are the only begotten Son of God. I believe that you came into this world to save me from my sins, to give me eternal life. And I believe that this situation will pass, but not one word that you have spoken will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away before what one word that God has spoken will pass away. Do you believe today? Do you believe? Do you believe in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your oppression, in the midst of the dark hour? Do you believe that Jesus will come through for you? Because that's what this word is all about. He will come through for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.